Welcome to episode number six, the Contrarian Marketing Podcast, where we give you ideas you might not be thinking about. Today, we're talking about the big trends of the year and what we learned in 2022. We think it's important to reflect on the current year to learn more about what could happen in the future. It can be difficult to make sense of things while they happen, but reflecting can help you connect the dots. Kevin? the end of 2022 you excited is the end are you excited or you're you're a little worried you know what i i i am i am um i'm really getting much better at not finishing the year all stressed out and managing my work in a way that you know uh, i can actually I, I can actually reflect i always get super reflective during that time of the year and i think it's a it's a very healthy exercise and that's kind of what we want to do today one thing that i've been thinking about a little bit uh is just you know like advertising in general and advertising for this podcast we had some phenomenal uh, advertisers so far. We had Stacker, we had Ross Simmons, shout out to ClearScope. Personally, I'm always very averse to advertising, but it also sometimes works on me. And I think it can be a business model that allows people to consume the content while you know monetizing the content and making a living. I don't know. Do you feel the same way, or do you think it's you know? Do you think it's like? Do you think advertising is totally fine? Do you hate it? What's your What's your take here? Well, first of all. We're marketers. I can't believe you're saying you don't like advertising. You need to apologize to the entire marketing world. Right? <laughs> but in my, my own confession is I use Adblock on my browser because most advertising sucks. So many resources off of Chrome. But I happen to love advertising. I think if you think about advertising in the correct way, like the Super Bowl, there's so many people that don't watch football, but they, they watch the ads. And that's because they're entertaining. They don't suck. Most ads suck, right? They're the wrong kind of ads. They're, they're not interesting. They're not engaging. They're too similar. There's no creativity. But when you add creativity in it, they're amazing. And I also think that there's something about influencer advertising. Obviously, like the whole concept of influencers got blown up. These platforms have created too many influencers, but influencers have always existed. What was the, the cowboy guy that sold camel cigarettes, right? Like he, he's a, uh, you know, they, they, they have influencers. There's influencers that sell stuff. People like the things they do and that's good advertising and podcasts like podcasts. I mean, we're not influencers. We're just talking about stuff and you know, our advertisers are really nice and want us to talk about them. And I think when you build advertising into something and it's promoted properly, then it's interesting and people engage with it. And I've bought stuff from podcast ads. I've bought stuff from TV ads. I buy stuff from internet ads. You know, my favorite thing about being digital marketers, when people say to me like, oh, you do that Google stuff, who even clicks those ads? And I'm like, I don't know, like a billion dollars worth of people a year. So here's the thing. I, I, I never bought anything from a Google ad ever, like ever, not a product listing ad, not a text ad, nothing. I've bought things from podcast ads though. Like I'm using Wealthfront and I, I honestly am using it because Tim Ferriss in for like years in the beginning of every episode, I can, I can probably recite the ad on top of my head. So I'm all with you there. I think the format matters. I think the creativity matters. And I also think that there's a, uh, there's a point about how disruptive the ad is. Like if it's, if it's just something you can easily tune out and it doesn't deteriorate from the core experience, I think it's absolutely fair game. But when I go to a website, I'm not going to call out specific sites here, right? I, but there's some websites where you, you cannot consume, you cannot read the content or not watch a video without a thousand ads flying into your face. 
And I hate that as a marketer. Oh, I'm totally with you. I think web ads are terrible. I think Google ads are good. I like, I've definitely clicked a lot of Google ads. I think social media ads have gotten a lot better and more engaging and you can skip past them and not even notice that they're there. But podcast ads, like I bought Gusto because I heard about it on podcast and I've been using Gusto for a few years. And I ended up even consulting for Gusto because I used them and like met people at Gusto. And I think it's a really cool product. And it's not an ad. Gusto did not pay us for this. But Gusto, if you'd like to pay for this, uh, I'm happy to share about how awesome you are. But I, that's one thing I heard in so many podcasts. And when it came time to look for a platform like Gusto, I knew about it because those podcast ads. You know, the way it was talked about it was built into the podcast and not just like today's sponsors, Gusto. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's really fair. And I think there's also, you can do it in, in class and in style. There can be editorial standards for ads. I, for example, I don't want to advertise something that I actually think is a bad product or that I think is is harmful or deceiving or something like that. I only want to advertise, and I'm, I'm privileged and lucky that I can be in this position, but I only want to advertise things that I know are good, they're good products, they're good people, and that they're actually helpful for, for others. The way that I like to make sense in my mind is that people hear these ads and they might not be ready in the moment to buy something, but when they are, like me with Wealthfront, uh, and again, they also didn't pay us for this. Uh, we're also going to disclose advertisers here, but uh, you know, once they're ready, then they remember what they heard and what's top of mind, and that to me makes a lot of sense. So we we spoke about gusto, um, and uh, I wanted I want to ask like about about dream advertisers. For me personally, personally, um, and and maybe it's because I work there, but I think Shopify would be a, a massive advertiser for uh, for this podcast. Who would you pick? I would pick Google. I just think it'd be really interesting to have Google be our sponsor and then to get say, and then to say negative things about Google because I actually think Google is not that evil and people always make them out to be evil. So give us this opportunity to be like, Hey, Google paid us for it and we still get to say some really nasty things about them because they're not a perfect company, but they control a lot of the internet. It's just be cool to be like, Hey, this podcast is sponsored by Google. So Google, if you're out there, we'd love to have you sponsor us. But another thing I was just thinking that would be great to have like, you know, advertising for in podcasts is current events. You know, conferences are always looking to get attendees. And if there are any conferences out there that you want us to shout you out, if I heard about a pod, like a conference on a podcast and I want to go to that conference, like there's not really other ways I would even know about it. It has to show up in some roundup that I'm reading, but like a podcast I'd engage and, you know, want to go to at conferences. If you're out there, we're happy to take your sponsorships. Uh, conferences, if you're out there, we'd also happy to learn about them because I don't know many good conferences happening in the next year. Eli, we haven't spoken about this before, but my goal is still to do a live podcast with you at a conference at some point in time. So now it's out there. Uh, now we can, I can manifest it. Let's do it. Uh, but if if advertisers want to uh, want to sponsor this podcast, where can they where can they go, Eli? So you introduced me to a really cool tool called Passion Fruit. Passionfruit.com is not the website, it's passionfruit.xyz, which I, I kept screwing up, but yeah, it's a really cool website, a really cool tool, which allows people to get sponsorships and a variety of things. And it seems like such a good way of doing things and booking things out in the future, rather than, and by Passion Fruit to not pay us for this either, uh, but booking things out in the future, rather than having to go back and forth an email and say, okay, this date's available for this price, and then you get all that negotiation done on one platform. So really cool, really cool product. Yeah, yeah, I'm bummed. I wasn't able to invest in them. I, I uh, wrote a small angel check in Softer, which uh, the great folks of Software then introduced me to Passion Fruit. Um, as you said, amazing, amazing platform, uh, and I think that they can do some real damage in this bigger trend, which is the creator uh, economy. 
uh, and community. But you know, before we get wrapped up in the, in the trends, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about this year. Uh, and uh, you know, I love what she said in the intro that it's important to reflect on the year. I think it's easy to say, ah, the year is over, so why really think about it? Uh, but when, when you're in the weeds, it's it's sometimes difficult to connect the dots and see how things are related. But I think it's very very um, well time spent when you when you sit down and you're like, okay, what actually happened this year? What are the big patterns, and how can that maybe you know, influence next year or the future, or even just make sense altogether. Uh, so we prepared a couple of topics that we want to go through, uh, and I think the the first one is the recession. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the 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 mic, uh, Eli. What's your like? What's your kind of summary about the economic situation this year? So it's a it's a really a big topic, but it, it's interesting because the recession only started. I don't even know if we call it a recession. Everyone's like messing around with these definitions. Economic problems only started in the last couple of months. But it overshadows the entire year. So it really emphasizes this whole idea of last impressions are the only impression. The year started in January, like I think this is one of the best January, the best January the stock market ever had. And yet we're ending the year with like economic fears. And that's the way people are going to remember 2022. I think there are a lot of good things that happened in 2022. A lot of bad things happened in 2022 also. But from a marketing standpoint, certainly as we think about like, how marketing was impacted in 2022, we're obviously going to reflect on like all the jobs lost, obviously budgets are being squeezed. You and I are both consultants and we're seeing that from the consulting side of fear. There's a lot of fear for 2023. And as you think about going into 2023, we're definitely bringing this baggage of economic fears into it. What do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you look at the, at the numbers, the S&P 500 peaked in January, um, and then from there, you know, things started to deteriorate, inflation going up. Obviously, the the Russia-Ukraine war had a negative impact on the economy as well. So basically, we came out of 2021 into 2022, and it was like this this kind of um, euphoria a little bit of overcoming the pandemic, even though nobody ever said that it's officially over. So I'm not sure if it's over, really. Like, you know, who, who says that it's over? But uh, I think there was like this euphoria that then quickly turned into, into a negative, into a little bit of a depression. So I agree that not, not everything was bad about the year, but um, it, and ending the year on a down note uh, feels a little... It's a little, you know, sad and pessimistic. Well, I actually think you're bringing it back to an optimistic note. When the year started... Everyone forgets that the year started with like pandemic in full force. Like schools were not fully there. You had to wear masks on planes. If you want to know who ended the pandemic, it was that judge who just like pulled the masks off and everyone's like, okay, that's it. The pandemic's over. If you can go on planes without a mask, the pandemic's over. I went to Dubai in March because I wanted to go on vacation while my kids had spring break. And Dubai was one of the only countries that was not freezing and allowed tourists to come with two negative tests. Like at the time you still need the negative tests. Like, so yeah, so ending the year, the economy is a little bit rough. There's a little bit of fears about 2023, but we totally started this year in the midst of the pandemic that was going into its third year. So like pulling out with that, you know, more of a full view of the entire year, I'd rather be where we are right now with a little bit more certainty that yes, the year might be rough economically, but at least we're out of this pandemic that like just dragged us down for so long. Speaking of economy and, and boom cycles and bus cycles, obviously one of the big topics and maybe our second topic this year uh, is crypto. I have a maybe not so popular stance on, on crypto. I'm not completely against it, but I also think there was way too much hype and fraud. Quick question at this point, did you invest any money into crypto? Are you into crypto? So I lost 50% of my $100 investment. So I'm, I'm down. To, I, I've kept it in. It's just floating on Robinhood because I want to see. 
uh, where it would go. But that was my take. Like, I, you know, I was fortunate I consulted for Coinbase in uh, early last year. So I had more of like an inside view and was forced to like really dig into the crypto thing. It's interesting, but and I, I'm no crypto expert, but it did seem like the, it was ripe for fraud. I know that Coinbase in particular as a U.S.-based company, FTX was U.S.-based too, wanted to comply with rules that didn't exist, wanted to help mold those rules so they, when compliance came, there wouldn't be issues. However, there's so much potential for fraud there. And, and you know, FTX proved that and the governments don't even know what to do about it because there aren't the right rules for it. So not bullish on crypto. I get that some people love it. I've lost 50% of my investment. Luckily, it was very little. Fair, fair. Yeah, I put I put a thousand in a Bitcoin and a thousand in Ethereum just to, you know, say you have a little stake in it. And if it really, you know, goes through the roof, at least you're not completely missing out. That was kind of my rationale there. But I I saw the hype of people going into crypto. And I learned that whenever people are, are super hyped and they put a lot of money into something, that's typically a very bad sign, especially when it happens so fast as it did with crypto. Yeah. So the, the, the hype was just way too big. And I mean, crypto is a complex technology. 99.9% .9 of people don't understand really what's happening. And I would even argue that, and I consider my, myself fairly technical, I don't understand it all the way. So, you know, investing into something that you don't understand with such little utility behind it. And maybe it's easier to say now in hindsight, right, where all of this melted down, but a uh, big turnoff for me. But I think there's something really good to be said about blockchain technology. And there are probably some fair use cases where you can apply that. But to me, if I think about 2020, it was a little bit like 2008. So when you think about the um, 2008 recession, that was mostly induced because people, because the old, quote unquote, old financial system imploded. The 2022 recession uh, or economic downturn in, in crypto was kind of a closure of that because crypto is kind of the new financial system. And we saw that it, it also imploded. So I think, I think totally. things came a bit full circle. Um, but uh, yeah, not, not, not very bullish for crypto. So just one call out on crypto. There was a fascinating Bloomberg entire issue on explaining crypto, 40,000 words on crypto, which came out a couple months ago. We'll link it in the show notes. I read that whole thing cover to cover, learned so much about the mechanisms of crypto. And for anybody that wants to learn more about it, read it. What I would say about this issue is that it was written by a journalist who is a financial journalist. And his point was he's explaining from a financial point of view. He was not pro or anti crypto. He was simply explaining crypto, which is fascinating. And like he said that he only had $20 invested in crypto ever. So like, again, not a fan. And he only invested it to learn how the whole system worked. The other thing I would say about crypto is what always turned me off on crypto is every time I met someone who was like a crypto fanatic, they were also an anarchist and they were like, Oh, fiat currency is going to disappear. I, I'm not so sure about that. And I think that the people that own fiat, that control fiat currency are governments and they have like missiles and nukes and tanks. And before like a bunch of people in a basement, Bitcoin mining are going to take over the entire financial system. I think the nukes and, and tanks are going to be involved. So yes, there may be problems with governments controlling money, but governments like controlling money and they have a lot more toys to keep people, keep that in control. So. That, that's been always my view on crypto. But let's talk about something else that I think really impacted the year. It didn't happen in 2022, happened in 2021, but it, I think it had a huge impact on this year, which was Apple's privacy rules. Like that impacted, I mean, first and foremost, Meta, Facebook, right? And their revenues. But I think it's changed 
the way all apps monetize and change the way people view privacy when Apple has is so dominant in technology and they close off so much tracking to app makers and, and to advertisers. It's just a game changer. What do you think about that? So just quickly to explain for the audience, right? Uh, with iOS 14.5, I think it was in April 2021, um, Apple started asking users if they want to be tracked by an app or not. And, you know, f phrasing it like that, of course, I think the stats say that 85 or 90 percent of users, of course, click no, I don't want to be tracked. But in essence, right, like what, what happens is that advertisers are missing the confirmation that a conversion happens, right? They cannot understand anymore if a user clicks on an ad and then installs a game or buys something online. And that obviously has massive implications. Just think about that more than 50% of all smartphone owners now have an Apple smartphone, right? So huge applications. And I, I agree with you. Um, if you. If you look at the numbers, experts estimate that Facebook suffered like a, an over $10 billion loss. Like some said $16 billion every year, right? So I think uh, Facebook makes anything between like $90 to $100 billion in profit. So they still rake in a lot of cash. But that is significant. And that's just one company, right? YouTube felt it. TikTok felt it. I'm going to talk about TikTok in a second. You know, it has wide-ranging implications that I think are not as known. And I agree with you. I think the shifts are profound. I think it even opens the door to like less exact and accurate marketing attribution and maybe more of a shift to, you know, uh, like a, a marketing world before we had really good attribution uh, uh, online. Um, I, you, you, you thumbs up or thumbs down on this one? I'm wearing two hats here. As a marketer, I love that there's so much data and that you can really attribute things and make and confirm things and be very, very efficient with your advertising. As a consumer, thank you, Apple. Like, I'm glad that someone's standing up for this. And by the way, there's a really dark side of this. When I lived in Singapore, I heard a presentation, I think from Alibaba, and they were talking about how they have these Wi-Fi nodes all over the city of Beijing and they track their employees. And they can see where their employees go. And like you, when you go into a store, there are Wi-Fi nodes and you can see if like an ad actually brought someone into that store. I don't know if you can marry that to like, do they make a purchase? But you have that level of attribution to be like, well, I'm buying back from Alibaba or buying back from Huawei, whoever has these nodes that my ad sent someone into a physical store. Like that's scary. We're just blocking people from, you know, Apple's just blocking from figuring out like what sort of happens on your phone and did you buy something? But if you don't have any protections, you're following people everywhere. Like imagine a world where your, your Google home devices and your, your Amazon devices are confirming that you've purchased something like, you know, imagine like your Amazon Echo device is like, yep, it arrived. And then we listened to the unboxing and the kids really liked the toy. That's scary. But like without, you know, safeguards, why not? Right? Like that's what market as, as marketers, wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love to know that like someone like watched your show and like they laughed during the show? Like that's really good attribution. Good attribution. However, I think there's there's one one problem with your argumentation, which is that Apple still tracks users, right? So if you if you read the documentation and if you read their policy, 
they they draw a very stark line between third party tracking and first party tracking. Totally. And Apple basically says, oh, every third party is not should not be able to track you, but Apple still tracks you, right? They consider themselves a first party, and there's all of a sudden no problem. So it's I think privacy is just kind of the the straw man here, and I think Apple just wants to cut off all the conversions that happen on their app uh, app store, which is super powerful. And if you look at the numbers. Apple's advertising revenue has, you know, weirdly going up since they shipped uh, iOS 14.5. So I think if we talk about, you know, privacy, um, then they have to be the same standards for everyone. That's a fair point. My prediction, I said this before in our podcast, I think Apple launches a search engine eventually. And this ability to have their own first party data and not allow anybody else to have any of that data that's going to make that search engine really powerful and a really good place to advertise. So let me ask you this. Uh, maybe it's the last question about, you know, Apple and Apple tracking transparency. Because my opinion is slightly different. But do you think that search engine is going to be like Google? Or do you think that search engine is going to be Siri? A combination. So I, I think every time people will talk about like competitive search engines, whether that's Bing or that's Neva, which is a subscription search engine, they're always thinking about alternatives to Google without really thinking about, or like, like literally like it's Google, but it has a different brand on top without really thinking about a paradigm shift. But if you want to say like, no one's ever going to compete with Facebook, they have every user on their platform, but then obviously Facebook's users are declining. It's not because someone made a better Facebook. They just made a different thing that sucked up all the users. So to answer your question, I think when Apple competes with Google, it's not going to be like, oh, here's our search engine and we have, you know, 10 links on it and we have a maps result and we have a, a uh, featured snippet. It'll just be something different that just brings you to the same point. So it'll probably be a combination of like a Siri kind of thing or and a combination of like, here's websites and whatever it is, it'll exist to be able to surface advertising which is, you know, again, they, those could be links to websites, those could be videos, those could be anything, but it'll be exist to monetize that traffic. What do you think? I don't think Apple is going to launch a search engine. I think they crawl the web to feed Siri better data. Data. They they pay Google twenty billion dollars. Uh, sorry, they get they get twenty billion dollars. Google they get. That's like that's free cash. Uh, that is really that's going to be really hard for them to recoup. Uh, through advertising and monetizing that search engine, like why would they why would they forego that money? So. I, I kind of agree that the the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. They're going to have some search engine like features, but I think they're going to live in Siri and they're not going to compete with Google. They're going to milk Google like a cow, raise the price every year. Uh, and I think to be you know like to to get back to government and, and regulation, I think the government needs to step in and break this deal up because it's 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 just anti-competitive. Yeah, I mean to that like Google makes more than two hundred billion dollars a year for advertising. So if Apple wants a bigger piece of that pie than twenty billion. It's possible. I think crawling the web is not as hard today as as it used to be. SEMrush crawls the web. Ahrefs built their own search engine. Like crawling the web and ranking the internet, especially when you don't actually have to rank the internet, you just have to surface results and you do it like with Siri. I think it's a lot cheaper than it was, you know, back when all those other search engines died. Again, they could crawl the web. The results probably won't be as good as Google's because Google has 22 years of doing this, but it'll be good enough that you won't switch back to Google. Fair point. I think we need to we need a whole episode on this. And if you listen to this and you think we should talk about that, then hit us up on Twitter, LinkedIn, or uh, uh, or, or on Substack on contrarianmarketingpodcast.com. Speaking of Twitter, and maybe speaking, you know, like I think there's a good bridge to be made here uh, from Apple to Twitter because uh, Elon recently got in a <laughs> little bit of a you know a, a word fight with, 
yes, exactly. Over exactly that, over the Apple tax uh, on the App Store. Uh, so just for for context, every app that monetizes uh, has to pay Apple thirty percent if they want to be on the App Store. So, a kind of I think Elon has a fair argument, but uh, I also think that you know uh, what what Elon does on Twitter and how Twitter is changing is uh, is, is nothing nothing short of a dumpster fire, and I cannot help myself. But wonder, you know, what if we had a Twitter when when Einstein was alive, right? Or maybe maybe other big innovators and big people who had a massive impact on humanity and technological progress. Would we also have seen, you know, what really goes on in their mind? And should they should they share all of that, or wouldn't it just be better for Elon to not have access to any social network and just focus on the things he's brilliant at? Eli, you know, falsify me. So I, I think Elon Musk is a unique individual. When Steve Jobs died, they talked about how he was one of the first people in the world to like, if from at least from the technology world, to have changed so many industries. He changed, obviously, the technology industry by creating Apple. He changed the mobile industry. He changed animation with Pixar. So he had such an impact on the world. Elon's had an even bigger impact on the world, and that story's not over. Like The things that he's done and the things that he could end up doing. So aside from the fact that he created the first car company, like successful car company since like the twenties or the thirties, he's also figured out how to land a spaceship. So there was the space wars between, you know, SpaceX and Blue Origin, which is Bezos's company and uh, the traditional space companies and Virgin Galactic, but SpaceX won. SpaceX got the government money and that's impressive. Like he's, he is not, he made his own NASA. Like that's crazy. At the same time, he's digging tunnels under LA. He's bought Twitter, this open AI thing that everyone's talking about. And it's like the hottest technology thing that's come out in the last year of like, wow, you can talk to use chat GPT and talk to things and write papers. Elon Musk founded that too. So all the armchair pundits saying, oh, he's going to screw up Twitter by firing everyone and ruin this amazing thing. Duh, my money's on Elon Musk. Like, I may not agree with the things he's doing, but that man is definitely far smarter than I am. And he's far smarter than most people and more successful. Like, if anybody deserves to be the richest man in the world, it's, and he's not as of today, but he, he could end up being the richest man in the world if Tesla stock goes back up. But if anybody deserves to be the richest in the world, it's someone that has like had such an impact on today and likely the future. So you think Twitter dies? What do you, what do you think happens to Elon Musk? See, the thing is, first of all, you know, I think one big problem um, is that Elon is just super distracted from other projects and companies that could have such a bigger impact. I do think he has genius. And I think that he made some right decisions with Twitter. But I think his style and his constant need to antagonize people and become super political is is becoming such a hindrance that, that also Tesla investors are starting to doubt if he should, you know, if he's the right person and all that kind of stuff. So I think Twitter is not yet at a point where I think it's going to die. It has a massive network effect, huge popularity. Uh, and a lot of people have, who have followers and audience on Twitter are going to be very hesitant to leave. But if he keeps going down that path and, and you know, he just banned and kicked off some journalists from Twitter, which I think crosses a major line. If he keeps going down that path, I think he's. I think Twitter is really gonna is gonna has, has an actual chance to to you know. I think die. I think there's a chance, um, and I think he could be so distracted from his other projects that investors just 
lose a lot of you know trust in him. So for me, 2022 was kind of the year where I lost a lot of respect for Elon Musk, who I always thought was amazing, uh, or at least genius. And I think uh, I think it's really kind of going to come back to hurt him. And the other point I wanted to make is that I think 2022 is also a year of bad governance, right? So we have Elon Musk on Twitter, clearly bad governance, clearly bad style, not not very respectable. We had SBF and FTX, right? So Sam Bankman-Fried, same thing. And they also have Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Sheryl Sandberg. So Mark, um, bet, best of farm, uh, which is Facebook on the metaverse, spends about $10 billion a year on top of the at least $10 billion he loses from AT&T, right? And, uh, and Sheryl Sandberg left the company. And I think, I, I'm not sure, I think he really needs, like so many tech geniuses, really need quote-unquote, an adult in the room who can keep them in check. I think Elon Musk really needs a Sheryl Sandberg. He should actually, she should, if if she joined Twitter or something like that, man, that would be the dream combo. So maybe my wish for next year is Sheryl Sandberg becomes CEO of Twitter. I think think we've just seen incredibly bad governance this year. Yeah, and it's not going to (laughs) change. It's just that that's the way the year is going to end. Well, let's wrap up with some predictions. So first of all, do you think, what do you think happens with Twitter next year? Do you think they... Their users decline. You think their users grow? You think Elon Musk takes it public again? Look, I want. I'm, I'm an optimist at heart. Okay, um, I want to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say Elon is going to find someone else to run Twitter, and hopefully focus back on Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, uh, and and all the other companies that he started. That's my prediction. What do you think? I think that Twitter's users grow. I think that Elon Musk definitely does not run all these companies personally because he can't. I, I mean, he clearly doesn't sleep, which is impressive. But I, I think that someone else will run the company. And I forgot all, I forgot about how he runs Neuralink and Starlink and Solar City. Like literally the guy's got his hands on everything and most of them are successful. That's incredible. So Twitter, unfortunately, provides a platform for him to entertain people. So he's potentially more involved in it than he is in his other companies, but I, he passes that off. Like, there's no way that he's running all these companies. Obviously, he's such an incredible individual that he can drive people at these companies when he can't doesn't even give them mind share. Back in the day, like you know, early Tesla, early Solar City, he was splitting his time between like Tesla and Solar City and really being involved in in these companies. And again, no normal person could do these kinds of things. And now he's diversified across so many more companies. So I I would. Totally bet on Twitter growing. I think Twitter goes public again, you know, with with his control. So that's my prediction. Let's uh, let's wrap up with some predictions for the year. If you were predicting 2022, at the end of 2021, what would you have done to get rich this year? See, one big point in my growth memo predictions for 2022, which I wrote in 2021, uh, were about the supply chain issues, right? We saw this massive supply chain squeeze, um, inventory challenges, all that kind of stuff. So in, in 2021, there was there were signs that that local e-commerce was on a verge of coming back and people would just shop local instead of internet, or more people would shop local, less online. Uh, and so I think my, my kind of way to get rich in 2022 would have been to uh, either buy a local business or buy a stake in a local business. I I think there's something to just boring money to, and I'm saying that as somebody who works in the tech industry, right? But if I think about my personal finance and wealth, there is something about owning some boring businesses. And I think 2021 might've been um, a good time. 
in hindsight, maybe 2022 is an even better time, but we're going to talk about that in a second. What's your, uh, what's your take here? So if I had a crystal ball, I would have shorted the stock market, the whole thing at the end of 2021. And, you know, that was peak hype. And like you said earlier, January is the best month ever for the S&P. The fact that we were on such a tear should have been an indication that this party is going to be over. So crystal ball would have shorted the stock market in 2021. But yeah, we didn't, neither of us got that smart. So, <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, real quick, uh, what, what we're we talking about, like how much, how much money do you think, uh, you know, would have had, how, how big was, would, would your short have been theoretically? I never would have done it. So I would have taken my entire net worth and shorted the stock market. Yeah, and and then then they would have made a movie about me called The Big Short Two. Fair. I think fifty, a hundred k. That would be. It would be. It would have been a nice short. Uh, but as you said, doing it and, and thinking about it is still two different things. Uh, so now let's, let's flip this around. Like let, let's apply the same idea for next year. Uh, what's your kind of take of making money next year that people can can start thinking about now? Yeah, so so now we're we're pivoting from the things that we we could have done but didn't do because we weren't smart enough. So let's let's change it to something that if someone's actually smart, they could do right now and position well for for next year. The thing that I did that was the most impactful for my consulting career and you know in general my platform was writing a book, and it was the hardest thing I ever did. It was a ton of time and it took me like a couple of years to do, but that came out last year in 2021. So if I were smart, and I don't know how smart I am, if I were smart and want to position myself the best for next year would be to write a book. I Again, like it's been the best thing ever for me. So I maybe I could write another book. I don't know if I'll write another book. But really like writing a book, anyone that's like thinking of something they can do to really solidify their platform, grow their career, write a book. Not a useless book, like a real book of something of your knowledge. My wife just came out with a book. If anyone wants to check it out, uh, I have a short link for it, stopcaringbook.com where uh, she talks about how to use internal success to feel successful and not care what other people think of you. Awesome book. Uh, I'm responsible for marketing, of course. But writing a book really builds your platform that is yours beyond like your social media and beyond what people know of you, really expands that. So want to position yourself good for next year, write a book. Uh, If I want to position myself good for next year, I should write a book, but I don't know if I will. Kevin, you should write a book. I really want to write a book, man. I don't want you to write another book too. Uh, your, yours is still here in my in my shelf behind me. I'm not sure if people can see that, but uh, great book. Also ordered your wife's book. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think putting putting content out there is is a fantastic idea. That's also my tip for next year. If you have learned one thing, it's that you know going direct to consumer with your knowledge is a great idea. So we've seen the creator economy, and we we are, we are seeing the creator economy going through the roof. Mr. Beast got as many views to his YouTube video in 48 hours as people watch the Super Bowl, right? So I think uh, in 2022, like 120, 112 people, sorry, 112 million people watched the Super Bowl and and Mr. Beast posted a screenshot of his YouTube views and there was a a 48-hour time span and he got like 123 million views. So the attention shifts to people and I think people who have expertise in whatever field, I think there's an opportunity to bring that directly to consumers uh, and, and, and enter the creator world, even just part-time, right? So my um, kind of uh, suggestion to make money is to, you know, start, find, find the format that works for you, video, audio, text, and then write newsletters or, or create videos, be on TikTok, whatever, go out there, get attention and build an audience. Cool. Eli, that's a wrap. Literally, the year's over. Everybody, happy holidays. Thank you, everyone, for listening. 
And now it's your turn. Head over to contrarianmarketingpodcast.com and subscribe to the free weekly newsletter to get a summary of today's episode, key takeaways, and community content. And while you're there, go to today's episode and leave your opinion in the comments. We'll feature the best thoughts in the newsletter and on the podcast. Also, if you like today's episode, please feel free to leave five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks so much for tuning in and here next week.